right over here to my left and your right. What a good job. Thank the choir again for leading us in worship this morning. It did a great job. Amen. I want to encourage you to open your copy of God's Word while we're making this transition right now to the um, 127th Psalm. The 127th Psalm. It's just five verses. But if you'd find your way to the 127th Psalm, and if uh, you don't have a copy of God's Word, don't worry. It'll be on the screen uh, just behind me for you to follow with us. Psalm 127, five verses. <clears throat> I'm going to share with you today from God's Word, I believe, have a tremendous amount of ability to help us. I want to spend some time the next few weeks. I, I love how God designed the family, don't you? I love the way He did it, and he did it right, and I'm one of those like you. I've made my mistakes, you've made yours, but I'm grateful for how God designed the family, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that over the next few weeks, and we're going to begin today in Psalm 127, talking about God's plan for the man. Psalm 127, if you found your place physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word? Psalm 127, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says these words. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray your blessing be added to the reading of your word today. I pray, Father, that you would speak mightily to us through your word. We pray that lives are changed and that the Son of God is glorified today through the faithful proclamation of your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know about some of you, but there's some things we all enjoy doing. We all have hobbies. We all have what we call quirks and stuff sometimes. And one of the latest and greatest inventions has came along that sometimes I get intrigued by uh, when I have times where I'm a little stressed or, or can't sleep or whatever is uh, the invention of YouTube. Y'all heard of that? And you know, and at first, you know, you'd watch it on your, your little iPad or whatever, but now you just pull it up on the TV. And anything you're interested in, if you want to know, I, I have learned how to fix a lot of stuff by watching videos on YouTube. I, I don't know how to fix this or fix that, I learned how to fix a dishwasher one time, and I remember I learned what saw how to do that off YouTube, and I went and took the part to the dishwasher guy. He said, no, that's not what's wrong with it. You need this and you need that, which was, of course, much more expensive than what I told him I had diagnosed it at. And he said, no, that's not possible. I'm going to go ahead and order you the part, but you're wasting your money, sir. He said, it's not going to work. Well, I went and did what the YouTube video said, put it back in. It worked exactly. The guy told me before I left the appliance repair shop, he said, if this works, I want you to call me back because I've never heard of this working before and it may be something I can help somebody else. If it works, but sir, it's not going to work. You're just wasting your time and money. Well, I went home and did what the YouTube video said and that dishwasher worked like a charm for years and years to come. So I called the guy back and I told him, I said, look, I just want you to know in case somebody else comes in with this type and this model, it really is what was wrong. It's fixed it. Here's what he said. He said, it's a miracle. <laughs> and I said, I don't know about a miracle, but I do know one thing for sure. I've learned a lot of things about how to fix stuff and build stuff and put stuff together just by watching YouTube videos. So I was watching one night, and they had several videos. As you've noticed, over the years, a lot of our older stadiums and a lot of our large cities have become outdated and somewhat dangerous and had to be imploded. That would be done, and they replaced them with other ballparks and things like that. We've saw a lot of that. We have seen a lot of that over our lifetime. Well, 
The first big ballpark I ever remember going to outside of Cleveland County was I got to go one time about 11 years old with my Little League baseball team at the end of the season to see the Atlanta Braves play in Atlanta Fort County Stadium. As an 11-year-old boy, that was the largest place I'd ever seen in my life. It was the year that they started out like 13-0, first year they ever got to the playoffs in 82 and uh, so Dale Murphy, you know, we had Chris Chambliss, Bob Horner, Bruce Benedict, uh, Glenn Hubbard, man, we had Claude L. Washington and all these guys that were playing back in those days, and it was just a real treat to go to that and watch that game. Beat the Cincinnati Reds 4-2, I'll never forget it. But nevertheless, years later in 1997, you know the story how the Olympics came in 96. They built Turner Field, which was Olympic Stadium, later became known as Turner Field, began to play there, but because of that, they had to do something with Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and on August 2nd, 1997, that station was imploded, I mean, excuse me, that stadium was imploded and demolished. Well, I also did some all research as I was watching some more YouTube on some other implosions. You know, that was a big deal in Atlanta, and if you'll notice, when those stadiums implode, they fall straight down. They imploded the Georgia Dome and it was all right next door to the Mercedes-Benz and they were able to drop it without any damage to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So I looked at some other notable implosions and I found out what the largest building or stadium by volume to be demolished in North America and it was the Seattle Kingdom that was demolished in March of 2000. Let me tell you how big this building was. The roof was 250 feet high, yet when it was imploded, the pile of rubble was only 60 feet high. It took almost three and a half years to build the Seattle Kingdom, which stood 250 feet above the ground, but in a matter of 20 seconds, it was reduced to a pile of rubble only 60 feet high. Now, 60 feet high is a big old pile of rubble, but in comparison to 250 feet, it's very small. When the Seattle Kingdom was built, it cost $67 million. That's well over $300 million in today's dollars. Many sacrifices were made for it to be constructed, yet the implosion also comes at a cost because 10 years later after the implosion, the residents of King County, Washington, where Seattle is, were still responsible for paying over $80 million that was still owed on a demolished building. My, 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 that's not good stewardship, is it? Amen. But friends, I want you to know that's exactly what's taking place in America today. There's an implosion when our structure is being demolished from the inside out. In America today, the very fibers of our structure are being weakened to the point of implosion. We can look at things from an economic standpoint. We can look at things from a moral standpoint. And all of our values have become so weak that it barely even resembles the country that we all remember growing up in. I hear that from people in my generation and older. looks nothing like what we grew up in. But before I get too far in here, I want you to know today, and I especially want every dad and every granddad to listen real close today because I, especially if you're not a dad, you hope to be a dad someday, you hope to be a granddad someday, I want you to hear some things that I believe will help you. And the one thing I want you to never forget is, and I want you to know that God loves you. You have an important task, and I want you to know that I love you. There's nothing you can do about it, and I want to help you fulfill the purpose for which God has placed you as a patriarch in your family. You're special to God. God has blessed you with a family that I am confident that you love with all of your heart. My heart's desire today is to take the word of God as a scalpel not to hurt you but to heal you, to help you along life's journey. There's some subjects that we'll look at today that are somewhat difficult. They're not things that I enjoy talking about, but there are some things that have to be said. There's some areas of our life that we have to deal with, even though that they might rub us the wrong way, it will help us. I remember Charles Spurgeon in his ministry, they told him once, said, Preacher, 
I want you to know you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. He said, well, I reckon it's time to turn the cat around. Amen? I believe that's very important. But I believe that God's word today, even though it has the ability to offend us when we are not right with him, I want you to know from my heart today, I believe that as we read the word of God, we study the word of God, we embrace the word of God, and we follow the leadership of the spirit of God, that our obedience to the Lord will become something that matters to us more than anything. It will matter to us more than what our peers think. It will matter more to us than what anybody thinks. And my prayer today is that you'll leave here changed. I really believe that. I've told you many times, Ronnie Floyd said, worship is an encounter with Jesus Christ that results in a lifestyle change. If you've been a follower of Jesus one day, one week, one month, one year, or for many, many years, you can still go away changed today. Amen? I pray every time you come to worship, you go away changed. See, America's imploding because our churches are imploding. The churches are imploding because our homes are imploding and our homes are imploding because individual people are giving in to the world instead of following God and something must change and it must change now. There's no time to waste. And I believe with all of my heart God can help us with that today. See, when a demolition company is called in to carry out the implosion of a structure, there are several steps that are involved and I want you to listen close. They have to remove all support construction within the building. All ramps are removed and explosives are placed in key locations around the facility. Once the explosives are placed and ready, they are detonated in a sequence. The explosives began as small explosions that fracture the structure of the building and allow it to buckle and fall. Often the explosives are arranged in phases to ensure the total collapse of the structure. Isn't that what we see happening before our very eyes in God blessed America today? The support construction has been removed. The ramps are removed. The explosives have been placed in key locations to implode the lives of key people in leadership positions. The explosives, once they're ready, are often detonated in a sequence and the dominoes fall. The explosives begin small and they fracture the structure. Don't we see the fracturing of the structure of the family and the church today? When it does, it begins to buckle and fall and these explosives are arranged in phases because our enemy wants to ensure the total collapse of your life, your family, your church, and your influence. Wow. The foundations of holiness and godliness are being removed out of the framework of our nation today, church, and it ought to break our heart. Having our churches today gone more to being places sometimes of entertainment than houses of worship. I read a book just not long ago by a pastor in Kentucky and the title of the book was called Not a Fan. Kyle Eidelman is the author and here's what he said. He said, my concern today is that many of our churches have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums and every week the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly following him. Woo! He said the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't exactly interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not so close that it requires anything of them. Oh my goodness. Now folks, in the words of the old country preacher, brother, that'll preach just close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits but not interested in having anything required of them. Friend, I want you to know as I read on in this book, he told the story of a man who sent him an email asking to be removed from the church membership. You know, this has happened to me many times, so I caught my attention. The man stated that this reason for leaving was this. 
I don't like Brother Kyle's sermons. I've heard that before too, amen? Caught my attention. So here's what the pastor said. He reached out to him, he called him, he said, listen, brother, I understand you're leaving the church because you don't like my sermons. At first, there was dead silence. People don't like to be confronted. They just want to shoot that mouth off and run off, amen? They get behind that keyboard. Amen? You can be tough behind a keyboard. You can be tough on a telephone. But here he goes, and he says to him, he says, listen here. I understand you just don't want, you don't like my sermon. So at first there was dead silence, and then there was a period of rambling as the man began to explain what he could have possibly meant by this statement. And in the middle of the explanation, he said these words. Here's what he's saying. Well, whenever I listen to one of your messages, I feel like you're trying to interfere with my life. <laughs> he heard, he's listening right, amen. Well, now I want you to hear me, friend. If you leave here today and you say that preacher, and I hope I'm more to you than that preacher, because I want you to know you're more to me than just a member of the church. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister, you matter, amen? If you're here today and you don't even know, you just you don't know where Heflin, Alabama is, just happened to end up, I want you to know that we de you're more to me and you're more to God than just somebody who is sitting and occupying the space. You are a soul that has been given life by a holy and sovereign God that I pray comes to know him as Savior and dedicates your life to serve him the rest of your days. You matter. Amen? So if you leave here today and say, you know what, he just... <laughs> I just feel like that preacher's trying to interfere in my life. I want you to know you're absolutely correct. <laughs> and everybody said, amen. <laughs> Let me tell you why. As a gospel preacher, it's part of my calling to take the word of God, declare it in all of its glory and splendor, and allow the word of God and the spirit of God to interfere with your life I want you to know for what it's worth, I want you to, let me just tell you this for a minute. Our lives are so messed up. Before I met Jesus, my life was a mess and I've made plenty of messes along the journey. Can I get a witness? Amen. But we're so messed up that God himself was willing to bridge the gap between his holiness and our sinfulness with his dear son. And let me tell you why he did that because he wanted to spend eternity with you but he wanted to walk with you on this side too. I'm grateful that God sent a preacher that stood before me as a young boy with the word of God and he took the word of God and he interfered with my life. Interfered with what I wanted. There have been many times along my journey God has sent the word of God and men of God who have interfered with my life but it was for my benefit and for his glory. So today I want to look into the text. That's the introduction. That's time for the sermon, amen? Now I'm going to talk as fast as I can so you listen closely. God's plan for the man. Every man who desires to live a godly life and lead a godly home must surrender to the authority of the Lord. See, God used Solomon to write this psalm during a time when Jerusalem was being rebuilt after the return from exile. At this time, their population was small. The buildings were damaged. Many were destroyed. There were few remaining homes for families to inhabit. And those who returned seemed to have no hope of the future. They were in a constant threat from their enemies who surrounded them. And because of their situation, we can learn some definite truth from their experience. Here's some things we must learn as you surrender to the authority of the Lord. This man must avoid the danger of self-reliance. Too often, men, we think we've got it all figured out and we don't need anybody. Amen? But verse one reminds us that we are not the builder. We are not the superintendent. We are not the contractor. We are only a tool in the hand of the true, wise master builder. Amen? You're just tools. Amen? You're not in charge. 
And we are warned against any thoughts of boasting or becoming proud of what comes from our labors. That's why I told y'all before, and I remind you again, I've learned from a wise person. Somebody interfered with my life, and they helped me. Here's what they told me. They said, you've got to learn to take compliments and criticisms with the same response. Somebody tells you you blessed them or you just did something good, you say thank you. Somebody tells you you stink, you say thank you. You just respond the same way, you keep your head and your heart right. But it's important we understand nothing we do in this life is of our goodness, it's his. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, we are taught here that builders of houses and cities, systems and fortunes, empires and churches, all labor in vain without the Lord. But under the divine favor, they can enjoy perfect rest. You know, I believe it'd do us all good today to remind ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to remind us as he's doing right now that we are not the builders of the ministry. We are not the one that make things tick, the things that make things go. We can't do anything without the hand of the blessing of God upon what we do. See, in those days, cities were protected by high walls. They were protected by heavy gates. Jerusalem's gates had been destroyed. They were without any protection. They truly needed God to guard the city. Boy, that sounds like today, doesn't it? One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to think we're our own watchmen. Because <laughs> you know what? Sometimes I slumber and sometimes I sleep. And I'm among people that are human like me. We've got to have sleep. We can't live without it. We can't be awake at all times. We are not our own watchmen. We need the Lord to guard our lives. You know why? Because we will quickly allow things into our lives that God would never allow if we're in charge of watching and we don't let him watch for us. It's a slow fade. Warren Wearsby said, if parents, teachers, and church leaders do not courageously maintain the walls and guard against the enemy, all of our building is in vain. Don't ever apologize, sir, for guarding the gate. Don't ever apologize for declaring your lack of self-reliance and your total reliance on God for your protection and for your future. He must also do something else. He must also be aware of any drift toward the misplacement of priorities. I want you to misunderstand this verse. It's not wrong to get up early. A lot of you like to get up early. I get up early because I have to. It's not because I really want to, but I, I get up early every day. It's a good discipline for me. If you don't have to, nothing wrong with getting up early. Nothing wrong with working hard. I believe you should. Nothing wrong with making the necessary sacrifices. But the warning of this verse here is that our work for the Lord is to be a blessing and not a burden. It's not to become a mechanical exercise. It should be something that you find great joy in doing because God has called you to do it. This also includes finding joy in our work outside the church that provides for our families. Many people don't understand how you can have joy in working your daily job. Did you know that? Some of you are like, man, you don't know where I work. You don't know the struggles I got. I don't have it made like a preacher. I don't work one day a week. I, you got it made. Uh, I, I wish I had it as many folks think I do but a lot of folks don't have much joy in their job I've worked with people before that didn't have a lot of joy let me tell you the key to enjoying your job is to understand who you're doing it for are you with me uh, let, let me help you today if you are a child of God the Bible says you are a citizen of a place called glory your citizenship is in heaven. That means you already live there. That's already your home. You're just a stranger and a pilgrim and you're passing through. You got to remember who you are. You got to remember why you're here. But you've also got to remember what you're doing and who you do it for. You're not working just for that CEO. You're not just working for your immediate supervisor. As a child of God, you are doing what you do for the Lord. Amen. Hey, and I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, whether you work in manufacturing or whatever you do for a living. If you realize as a child of God that I have been placed here for a purpose, for a reason, and I am on mission with God wherever I am, I'm to bring him glory regardless of where I am. I'm doing this job for him. It'll change how you do things. 
it'll affect how you work. I used to have, I still have a good friend. I was his pastor for a long time. My friend, my buddy Matt Edwards. Matt Edwards is a Cobb County fireman. And he has a nickname. Everybody calls him Happy. He's probably the happiest guy I've ever known. He went on his days off years back. He worked in a funeral home on his days off, and he was even happy there. Everywhere he went, he was happy. He was whistling. He worked for a company part-time sometimes. They cleaned the church. I mean, I loved it when he cleaned the church. He walked around just a whistling and a singing. Man, he's just a dear, dear friend. He was happy all the time. Some of the firefighters said sometimes they'd get calls to go out on a fire and he'd be fighting the fire, just whistling along, you know, just having a good time. He enjoyed his job. His wife, Angie, is total opposite personality. Very sweet lady, school teacher, but she's just total different personality than him. And I asked her one time, I said, what was it that attracted you to old Matt? You know, he's such a happy guy. I bet it was his happiness and his always positive attitude. I bet that's what got you. The whistling and the singing, it just spoke to your heart and he captured your heart. She said, no, to be honest with you, he got on my nerves at first. <laughs> but she said, you know what? The longer I was around him, he began to grow on me. I thought about that a million times. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know in a world that's intent on being down and out with a case of the mully grubs and all that kind of stuff. You, you might come across as being a little irritating sometimes to a world like that. But can I tell you, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the joy of the Lord will grow on people if we'll just be who he wants us to be. We've got to surrender to the authority of the Lord. There's a second thing I believe today. That's what we've got to invest in the future of our families. Here's what the Bible teaches us, that children are a heritage. That means they're precious. Somebody said amen to that, right? They're a reward. That means they're a blessing. Amen? Somebody said, you don't know my youngins. Oh, no. No, they're a blessing. Children are a heritage, precious, reward, a blessing, but they're also arrows, which means they're artillery. See, they are to be cherished, admonished, and they are to be aimed at the kingdom of darkness. Amen? And this is some good stuff. You're going to get home and shout in a little bit. You just, just absorb right now. But listen, many Christian families have missed the admonishment to aim or point their children toward the enemy and to prepare to launch them into a world to make a difference for the glory of God and do great damage to the kingdom of darkness. Sometimes we just think we're supposed to play defense and we're just supposed to be defending and taking all the shots and taking all the blows and taking all the fiery darts of the wicked one. No, no, no. God's given you something, sir, as a child to take that arrow and put it on the bow and to teach that child and love that child and raise that child to fear God so that that child can do great damage to the kingdom of darkness when you fire them from your bow. We're going to have to get, I thought when I started talking about bows, y'all hunters would go, glory to God, it's almost bow season, amen? If you're in Georgia, you can go ahead and get you one, but anyhow. I've always told my children, and I can't use any examples but my own because they're the only imperfect kids y'all know, but anyhow, I, there was a song when Caitlin started college by a group called the Sidewalk Prophets. I don't know if you ever heard of them. But the title of the song, well, these are the words I would say. And the chorus says, be strong in the Lord. Never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on you. So don't live life in fear. Live and forgive, but don't forget why you're here. Take your time and pray. These are the words I would say. And I used to tell her, even when she was in college, I said, God's got his hand on you. I don't know what all. I said, but I believe all my heart, God's got his hand on you. And I said, I just want you to chase his heart with your heart. And I'm so grateful. And every day, she stands before six classes of high school kids and lives to be an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just tell you, and I, that doesn't mean she's perfect, but takes every opportunity. You know what? There are, there are 
people in the faculty that don't love Jesus. There are people that even say that he doesn't exist. But here's the thing. You can make up all the theories you want, but one thing you cannot argue against is the evidence of a changed life. They can say, you know what, he doesn't exist. He's just a myth. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, he's not just a myth. He's more than a story. He's the king of glory, amen? And I believe that the redeemed ought to say so. We ought to live so and not be ashamed to let the world know that he is Lord, amen? God help us. God help us. When those children are under our care, we're to lead and cultivate them. While we're raising them, we need to prepare them for the spiritual warfare that's ahead. And Grandpa, you do this for your grandbabies too. Because if you don't, they'll just be sitting ducks for the wicked schemes of the enemy. I want to talk about a couple of things here real quick. Y'all got time? Good, good. Just want to make sure, right? Y'all know that really worries me if you don't, right? No, no, really. You know why I tell you these things? Because I want to help you. I want you to know I made preparation for you to be here today. I got with a master and I called out every name I could think of, asked him to remember every name I could. But there are some contemporary factors that are weakening our ability to invest in our families. I want to mention two, okay? One is the technology boom. It's great, isn't it? No, it ain't so great, it ain't. But you know what? We've become so dependent we couldn't function really without it. We've all become slaves to the lure of the latest technological gadget. When I was younger in the 70s, I used to hear TV preachers warn about people spending too much time watching TV. <laughs> Boy, look how far we've come. TV's the least of our worries now. Families never sit at the dinner table anymore, and when they do, they're staring more at a cell phone than they are talking to anybody. We eat more meals cooked in a restaurant than we do at home. We spend more time reading senseless gossip on social networks than we do reading the Word of God or talking to Him or listening to what He has to say. We're all guilty. You say, I'm not guilty, preacher. I'm super spiritual. No, you're guilty. We're all guilty. And it's easy. You know why? Because we can retreat into a world of isolation. Going to a doctor's office now, used to, you'd say, hey, is there a field and stream? Is there a Sports Illustrated? Nobody does that anymore. And we retreat and we fumble through that phone and it helps us to escape. It's easy to go into our own worlds. We put on our headphones, we escape from it all, but while we're escaping, the world is perishing. We need men, women, boys, and girls on mission with God. We need to make sure that we realize that our appetite for technology sometimes is killing us. Tony Evans says many of the disciples dropped their nets to follow Jesus. We can hardly get men to drop the remotes and follow him today. Wow. There's a second contemporary issue I want to mention. And it's one that's not popular. It's not just the technology boom, but it's our fascination with entertainment and athletics. Now, I'll tell you what, I love athletics. Does anybody doubt that? Anybody doubt that? I mean, I'm telling you right now, I love it. I've testified to you, I was never a good athlete, but I really love being a part of a team. I love my teammates, and I love to compete. There is nothing sinful about competing. I think sometimes we don't do enough of that in some ways, but there's nothing sinful about participating in athletics, but our nation's gone to the extreme. I read this week, while America's churches are being emptied, our gymnasiums, coliseums, and ballparks are being filled with people who are professing Christians who have left their first love. On a professional level, listen to me. I want you to hear my heart for a minute, okay? In America, there are 6.95 youth league basketball players. 6.95 million. In the NBA, there are 450 players, over 30 teams. That is a .0065% chance of being in the NBA. Youth League football has over 3 million players. NFL has just under 1,700 
over 32 teams. That's a .06% chance. Youth League Baseball has 5.61 million players. In the MLB, there's 1,280 players over 30 teams. That is less than a .02% chance. But I want you to know, regardless of those stats, here's what we must consider. What is the percentage that your child will stand before a holy God in judgment when their life is over? 100%. Dad, what is the percentage that you will stand before a holy God in judgment when your life is over to give an account for yourself, your wife, and your children? 100%. See, sir, you don't just give an account for you. As a leader of your home and the priest of your home, you give an account for you, your wife and your children beyond. Why do I tell you those things? It's because I love you. I want you to be prepared for judgment. Warren Wiersbe said, if we do not raise our children to know and love the truth, who will plant the seeds of truth and fight the battles against the lies of evil in years to come? Kind of reminds me of that great hymn that Robbie Brown likes to sing so much. It's by that great hymn writer, George Jones. Who's going to fill their shoes? If you've ever been on a mission trip with Robbie and he didn't sing, who's going to fill their shoes? You have been cheated and you need to go again, okay? No, that song's about who's going to play the opera and the Wabash Cannonball, but here's what I want to know. Who's going to play the instruments? Who's going to sing the songs? Who's going to preach the sermons? Who's going to go out here and be the hands and feet of Jesus? Who's going to lead the children's ministry? Who's going to lead the student ministry? Who's going to teach Sunday school lessons if we continue to empty our churches for things that fascinate us and entertain us instead of staying true to what the Word of God has told us to do? I want you to know, that's painful. But it's painful for me to see you drift when God loves you so much. I want to finish today by talking about the last part of verse 5. A man must, of God must demonstrate confidence and courage. A pastor serves the church in three capacities as a leader, feeder, and interceder. A father serves the home as a provider, protector, and a pointer. Did your daddy ever point and tell you what to do? I mean, I don't know about you, sometimes he could, my daddy could point and I knew what that meant without any words following, right? I mean, we just know that because they were telling us what to do. But a godly man will do a couple of things, and here they are, and I'm done. A godly man will be confident in his relationship with Christ. Friend, hear me today. I want you to know how much I love you, but I want you to know I can't love you even a mere percentage point compared to how much holy God loves you. You've got to be confident in your relationship with Christ. If you're not, do not trust some emotional experience. Do not trust some little that you got baptized. Do not trust that you are a member of a church. Do not trust those things to get you to heaven. You must come by the way of the cross. You must repent. You must trust Jesus as Savior. You need to be confident of that. And your testimony needs to reflect the surrendered life of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And there's a second thing. A godly man also will be confronting all enemies that threaten his family. You know, he talked about the city gate in the last part of verse 5. Why was he talking about the city gate? Well, the city gate was an important place. It was where all matters of legal business were conducted, but it was also a place where the enemy would try to get into the city and start to spread his lies and start to do his work. It was very important for a man to have his sons and daughters prepared to engage the enemy. He didn't want them retreating in fear. He wanted them to be ready to be on the front lines. Why? Because someday... Someday, sir, your son and your daughters that you're raising will be responsible for providing protection for their family, just as you have been responsible for providing protection for your family. A godly man is investing for the long haul. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You, you can just stop it right there. Your daughters are grown, and your job as a father is complete. That is absolutely false. You know when my assignment will be complete? It's when I behold the face of Jesus in glory. Is when my assignment will be complete. 
Uh, sir, I, I hear parents say sometimes, well, they're mine to the right team, but I'll tell you what, bless God, they on their own after that. I'm done. My duty is over. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Oh, as a parent, our responsibility is to invest for the long haul. No, not that. I don't get in their business or whatever. I mean, if they want to eat chicken for supper instead of beef, that's their own business. If they want to go to Burger King instead of McDonald's, that's fine. Both of them going to kill you. you mean, they, no. <laughs> y'all going to go out here today and say, preacher's putting down. I ain't, just seeing if y'all are listening. Sometimes I have to check y'all. Amen. No, our responsibility will be complete when we behold the face of Jesus. In Psalm 128.3, the Bible says, Your wives shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Why does the Holy Spirit describe children as olive plants? I want to give you this today, and I pray it speaks to your heart. When someone plants an olive tree, it takes it over 15 years to bear any fruit. When it is developed and nurtured correctly, hear me, get that. When it is planted, developed, and nurtured correctly, that olive tree that took 15 years to make one olive can produce olives for over 2,000 years. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't like olives. And I think people who like olives might need to see a counselor. No, 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 no some people, you have different tastes. I don't want it on my pizza, but but here's the thing. The point of the matter is this, is if you will plant, develop, and nurture correctly those placed under your care, here's what you have the opportunity to do. You can look around your table and you can watch how you're planting developing and nourishing and nurturing, you can watch it affect your family for generations to come. See, my family started out with just us two. Then it went to three and then to four. Now we're to six. Six, yeah. But last night I thought about what I was going to preach today as I had all six of them, all five of them, six counting me, around my table. I was thinking, oh God, In my spirit, I almost said this out loud and I kept it within myself. I was going, oh God, help me to invest in these five. Help me plant them. Help me to develop them. Help me to nurture them that we can bear fruit for generations to come for the glory of God. So here's the final question, Dad. How deep are your roots? How deep are your children's roots? I'm going to go ahead and answer that for you. Probably no deeper than yours. Wow. Don't you want your children to be like an olive tree? I do. Don't we want all the generations that follow us to produce fruit for the Lord? Sure we do. Well, if the answer is yes, and I pray that it is, It all comes down to your willingness to fulfill God's plan for the man. Not your agenda, sir, but his. Not my agenda. And you don't have to substitute anything I tell you today for anything. I'm telling you, these are not my words. They are God's words. And when you stand before him in judgment, you will not be judged based on what I think or what I say. But you will be judged based on what he says. Let's plant some olive trees. Let's develop them. Let's nurture them. And let's watch them flourish for the glory of God. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, oh, how I love you. And oh, how I thank you for blessing me the way you have when I am so unworthy. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to plant some hollow trees. Thank you for the privilege to 
invest in those who will come behind us, not only our children, but the children of our friends, neighbors, people that we love, respect, and enjoy fellowship with. God, I pray that at this invitation, several things will happen. One, I pray that you'll break our hearts for what breaks yours. I pray, Father, that our pride and all the things that hinder us from hearing you clearly would be taken away. And God, I pray that lives will be changed today at this invitation. And God, I pray as much as you've stirred me this week, as much as you've reminded me to get back to what really matters and not be afraid to talk about the difficult stuff. As much as you've reminded me of that this week, God, I just want to thank you. And I just want to praise you for giving us some arrows, some children. I pray, God, that all across this house we would launch them toward the enemy and we would prepare them to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life and as a church today maybe we can make that commitment fresh and new from the pulpit to the pew to the back door to the parking lot we'd make a fresh commitment today God that we would plant some olive trees help us fulfill your plan for the man in Jesus name heads about eyes are closed here's the invitation today right now we're not going to say a word I'm not going to say a thing just a moment I'm just going to be quiet in the stillness here before the Lord be very honest with you, I'm just going to find me a place right here up front in this altar and I'm going to begin to call on God to change me change this church to change this community change this nation that we would turn our hearts toward home we would quit worrying about things that don't matter and won't matter five seconds after we're dead. But we would invest for eternity in the lives of those around us. Children that's been given to us, children that's been given to this church, the students and the parents. We just surrender our lives completely. To the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. Terry's going to play. Nobody's going to be singing. I'm just going to find me a place. And I'm going to call on God. And I invite you, if God has spoken your heart today, y'all know my heart. I don't throw rocks, I throw ropes. If that rope has landed in your lap today, realize that the Lord put it there, not Brian. I just want you to grab hold of that rope come find you a place and you let God change you so it's Terry place God speaks to your heart the invitation is open you come as God speaks
across the house if you would. Terry's going to play. Marty's going to lead us. God's still speaking to your heart today, friend. for speaking to us today, amen. Amen, thank you, you can be seated. Thank you so much. I appreciate your kind attention today, more than you'll ever know. Our ushers are coming today, and I want to encourage you to be faithful, and let's finish out September strong, and give from our hearts to the glory of God. I believe with all of my heart, and I've been telling them here a few weeks on Wednesday night, I said, uh, our Lord is definitely trying to raise up remnants of people. Revival always begins with the remnants and spreads to the masses. It don't start with the masses. It just starts with some people who will just believe it. Every word of God is pure and a shield under them that put their trust in him. He sends it. We can't generate it, but we can lift ourselves to catch the wind. Amen. We started talking about the Lord's Prayer this week. We're going to be doing that several weeks on Wednesday nights. We just took two words this past week, our Father, and we're going to talk about this week, our Father, who art in heaven. And we're just going to take the different little phrases of the Lord's Prayer and just really see some things that God has to say to us from that. I told them on Wednesday night, the disciples never said, Lord, teach us to preach or teach us to sing. They knew the most important part. Lord, teach us to pray, teach us to communicate with you. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts cheerfully, sacrificially, joyfully, and just trust God that he's going to continue to use us to touch the world with the gospel. Join me as we ask God's blessings on our giving. I started to sense the Lord's calling in my life to, to plant this church, I, I really had no idea that he would ultimately be calling us back to our hometown. 
Back in 2019, I was serving in a wonderful church in Huntsville that my family and I loved. We've been there for 10 years, but it felt like God was bringing that season to a close, and we'd been praying about what he would have us do next. And it was during that season that I met a guy named Alan Tate. He's a church planter in Florence, Alabama, who started a network of churches called the Well Network to plant churches in college towns across the Southeast to reach and disciple and equip and send college students and people across that city for the cause of the kingdom. And so as he shared that vision with me, it was captivating, it was compelling. And, and so Alan and the network asked me to pray about planting a church in a college town across the Southeast. And honestly, my, my initial reaction to that was, was no, absolutely not. I've got three young kids and that was terrifying for me and my family and I didn't, I didn't want to pray about that. But as my wife and I started to pray, we, we couldn't help but pray about it and really felt the Lord calling us and drawing us in to church planting, particularly in a collegiate context. And so that's what we, we did. We started to pray about that. We began a season of researching college towns and maybe figuring out a city where we could do this type of work where God would call us to do that. And we were struggling to figure that out. And but I, I grew up in Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa is my hometown. My wife and I were both born here and grew up here. And, and so we were coming home for Mother's Day weekend to come see our moms. And in the car, we were talking about Tuscaloosa. And my wife just kind of muttered. She said, I just, it sounds like Tuscaloosa could use a few more good churches. And it, it was startling to me. It was almost embarrassing because I, it never crossed my mind that God might be calling us home. So we, we picked up, we moved our family to Tuscaloosa to plant Church of the Oaks here on the campus of the University of Alabama. I believe that the college campus is one of the most strategic mission fields in the world. Uh, in a college context like University of Alabama, 10,000 people a year move here. Six or 7,000 of them are not gonna know the Lord. I can't think of anywhere more strategic to do ministry where you're reaching and then discipling, equipping, and then sending out people all over the world to be kingdom makers. And so that's what we've tried to do. So we, we began uh, that process with discipleship groups and added community groups. And the last thing we did was add weekly worship services in January of 2021. And so through the pandemic, we've uh, seen God be incredibly faithful. Like we get to see this incredible amount of fruit through that. And so God's continued to draw people to the team. We've seen people trust Christ as their savior. We've gotten to do baptisms in our services and baptisms in lakes. And it's just, it's been a beautiful season getting to see the gospel take root in people's lives. If I were to ask anything of you, I'd ask you to pray. And so every day at 10.02, I have an alarm set on my phone to remind me to pray Luke 10.2, which says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. We're never going to run out of lost people to reach in, in Tuscaloosa. We're, not, we're never going to run out of people that, to, that are, you know, to be discipled in Tuscaloosa. But we need laborers. We need people to join in to, to help shoulder the weight of ministry with us. churches in Tuscaloosa, everybody there is already righteous, right? Y'all laugh like that's not true. No, no, there are lost people everywhere, even at the seat of the Shekinah glory cloud, there's still lost people. But no, we were talking in Sunday school, and I'll tell you this and we're done. Some people say, why do you support missions here, there, and everywhere? And I'll tell you why. You just take, for instance, one of our partners in Salt Lake City, 2.7 million people in that metro area if we reach 10%, do you know that's 270,000 people that are going to go to heaven because somebody cared? If we reach 1%, that's 2,700 people are going to go to heaven because somebody cared. If we reach one soul, it'll still be worth it all. Amen? Amen? It's worth it. So whether it's here in Alabama, whether it's across this nation, around the world, people need the Lord. He's chosen to use us to be here to help get them there. Amen? So don't forget those things. As we leave today, a couple of things. The new Courageous movie is out. Guys, if you saw Courageous first time 10 years ago, they've updated that thing, got new endings and stuff there. I haven't seen it yet, but Courageous by the Kendrick Brothers from Sherwood and Albany is on in Oxford, and, the, and Show Me the Father has been on. I hope it's still on. It's another kind of a docudrama that they did on the importance of fathers. And I would just really encourage you to immerse yourself into that type ministry because it'll be worth every bit of it. And I just want you to know that whatever I can do to help you fulfill your purpose and walk with God means so much to me. I'll do anything in this world to help you do that because I love you and there is nothing you can do about it. Amen. 
Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. I'm going to go around and catch you out front. But you have a great Lord's Day. Choir's at 4.30 today.